Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday as we are studying about when Christ comes back to the earth. And again, you know, the book of Revelation has been so intimidating to, I think, to many folks, including myself throughout the years. But I believe that when you really sit down and ask God to help you understand, you and I understand more and more this book. Now, again, remember, God's ways, his thoughts are above ours. But yet, God will bless us as we read and study all of his word, and especially the book of Revelation. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. And after I pray, I'll begin reading verse 11 through chapter 20, verse 3. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that, Lord, in these moments you are here and you truly desire to reveal yourself and your plan to us. Lord, we know that we cannot fully grasp everything that you have done and are doing and will do because you are God and we are your creation. But yet, Father, we thank you so much that you love us enough not only to have sent your Son to reveal yourself, but you've given us also your word. In this prophecy and vision that you gave the Apostle John, God, please help us to hear the word, to understand the word, to live the word, and to share the word of God with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chris, would you go to uh, that second thing first, the, the, the five key events that will take place get you to, there we go. Let me remind you once again, these two chapters, chapter 19 and 20, are so very important. They give five key events that will take place before God wraps up human history. Last, well, two weeks, for two weeks, we studied uh, the first ten verses. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And remember that John is, is able to hear the great celebration that is going on in heaven because God reigns. And not only because God reigns, but in those verses is the marriage supper of the Lamb. The second key event is the verses that we're going to read. Christ will return to earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. In verse 19 through chapter 20, verse 3. The third great event or key event will be when, if you'll go to the next one, Chris. It's when Christ will reign on earth for a thousand years. That's Revelations 20, verse 4, 5, and 6. The fourth event, Satan's final revolt against God in Revelations 20, verse 7 through 10, and then the judgment at the great white judgment throne in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. I keep reminding you of this because I want to remind myself, God's got a plan. He lays it out. And if we will come humbly before him and let his word speak, he will speak to us about what is yet to come. So let me go back, and let me get you to go back, Chris, to the very beginning, okay? And follow with me in your Bible as I begin reading at Revelations 19, verse 11. Then, then, after the first ten verses, after the celebration of praise in heaven, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, John says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name inscribed which no one knows but himself. He is clad in the robe dipped in blood, 
and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, followed him on white horses. From his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to the birds that fly in mid-heaven, Come and gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And listen to verse 19. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who sits upon the horse and against his army. And folks, I want you, you and I to understand something. Satan's world system wants to destroy not only the Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, but to tear down and destroy the kingdom of God. And that's what it's what about the tribulation period is all about. The, the, the raft of God is being poured out upon the earth, but Satan has followers who refuse to accept the mercy and grace of God. And folks, if you and I refuse to accept the grace and mercy of God and they gather the army for what you and I call the Battle of Armageddon, they're getting ready to fight against Christ. But I want to point something out. They lose. They've already lost. The cross at Calvary is the place of victory for you and I as Christians. Folks, the Lord has already won the victory for us. And I want to point something out. Even though the armies of heaven is mentioned, they don't have to do anything. Because Christ, he is the one who destroys Satan and all of his hosts. Let me get back on track. Verse 20, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had worked the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped this image. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, i.e., that is hell. Okay, they are already thrown into hell. Satan will be thrown there soon. And the rest were slain by the sword of him who sits upon the horse, the sword that issues from his mouth, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. Remember, if you've read... Uh, during the tribulation in chapter 9, there's the abyss or the bottomless pit where Satan and all of his forces have been held captive. And so he, he seizes the devil in verse 2, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be loosed for a while. Let me get you to leave your Bible open, and we're going to pick up today in the latter part of verse 11. You remember last week we, we kind of introduced uh, this coming again of Christ. He is on the white horse, which stands for his purity and his holiness. Um, he is called faithful and true. God's judgments will be faithful and true. And then listen to what John says about the Lord. This is the latter part of verse 11. In righteousness, he judges. 
Now, again, folks, we've already mentioned this, and I'll probably keep mentioning it. Look, Jesus is going to do everything that he says he's going to do. He's going to be true to every word. But his judgment will come against sinful man because they have rejected him. And the end result of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and rejecting the love and mercy of God is to face the judgment of God. Is God a mean-spirited God? Does God not love humanity? We've already been over this. God has loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. You remember we read last week out of John 3, beginning with verse 16 through 20, I believe, that when we trust Christ, we're not condemned. We become the children of God. But when we reject the blood of Jesus Christ to cover our sins and make us right in relationship with God, then we stand under the judgment of sin. But listen to this. When Christ judges, it will be in righteousness. Now, now think about this for just a moment. When Jesus was on the earth, men judged him. As you read the Gospels, there were several different trials that Jesus had to go through. He had to go before Caiaphas, the high priest. He had to go before Herod, Pilate, the Pharisees. And folks, to be quite honest with you, every generation has those who judge and reject and ridicule and denounce the Lord Jesus Christ. But according to Revelations 19.11, when Jesus comes to rule and to judge, he will judge in righteousness. And I remind you and I again that when Jesus was judged, it was not that way. Wicked men lied and trumped up charges against him. Folks, they, they had false witnesses that came and accused the Lord. They could not find him guilty of any charge. Even Pilate himself said to the Jewish leaders, I find no fault in this man. You remember that? I find no fault in this man. Yet they sent Jesus to the cross to die. And as you and I look closely at the gospel records, Jesus didn't do a criminal offense, yet they put him to death on the cross as was prophesied in the Old Testament especially Isaiah 53 that we read some of the verses, I believe, last Sunday. So when Jesus comes again in Revelation 19, all that he does will be done in righteousness, and he will judge the world in righteousness. Let me remind you of a passage of Scripture, and this is from Acts chapter 17, verses 30, 31, and 32. And I know that when we we just pull scriptures out of the air, it might not make sense, or you might think, well, well, you're taking that out of context. But in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 32, the Apostle Paul is preaching in Athens. And they're wanting to hear his story about this man, Jesus. And listen to what Paul says. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, listen to this, But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And listen to verse 31. Because he, God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. Who is Paul talking about? Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead. And listen to their response in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. And folks, please notice, 
And, and it's been true throughout history. There are some who mock and reject the Lord Jesus and make fun of the gospel that God has given unto us. But there's also some who are going to hear. And that, again, is a sad story of history. Many reject God, reject his son, reject the salvation that God offers to us through his son. If we reject his gospel and his salvation, then Jesus, according to Revelations 19.11, will judge in righteousness. And folks, look at this second phrase in verse 11, this last phrase in verse 11, and makes war, and makes war. Now, now, for a lot of people, that's a struggle. You see, at his first coming, Jesus came to give his life and blood so that mankind could be saved. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus called out to people and said, Come unto me, ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Throughout his ministry, Jesus offered love and salvation to all. Throughout history, Jesus offers love and salvation to all. Even as Jesus was dying on the cross, and I give you two examples, you already know these, but as Jesus was dying on the cross, he offered love and salvation. In Luke twenty-three thirty-four, Jesus prayed as he was dying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Even as the crucifixion went on, there are two robbers that are there beside Jesus. And again, you know this story, but I bring this back up just to remind you of the love that Jesus had when he came the first time to save mankind. And one of the thieves mocked Jesus, and the other one asked Jesus to remember him when he entered into his kingdom. And you remember what Jesus said to that thief? Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And folks, I'm trying to contrast the coming of Jesus to earth first. He came to minister to the needy. He healed. He cast out demons. He did miracles. He preached the truth about the kingdom of God, but was still rejected. Again, if you haven't read the tribulation chapters, chapters 6 through 18, I want to encourage you to read these chapters in the book of Revelation. Because even during the time of tribulation, even during the time that the judgments of God begin to fall upon the earth, men still not repent, will not repent of sin and come to God. And so... In Revelations 19.11, Jesus is going to come in his glory. And it says here, make war. I've told y'all, and I want you to understand something, that much of what I am telling you has come from studying. It's not just wisdom that I have on my own. And two of the, the sources are Herschel Ford who was a preacher back in the 40s and 50s, the 1940s and 50s, and also Warren Wiersbe. And I say that because I don't want you to think I'm plagiarizing them. I want to give credit to who credit is due. But the first printing of the book, Seven Simple Sermons on the Second Coming of Christ, was printed in 1945. In every generation, there are those that would say, The sweet Jesus of the Gospels cannot be the warring Jesus that comes back in Revelations 19. But folks, 
If Jesus is coming back to judge in righteousness, what's he going to do? You remember the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember in Romans 6.23, and that verse is going to be on the overhead again. You know this verse. Listen to this. The wages of sin is what? It is death. But look what it says. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, the choice is ours. And there are two choices here. We reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think that we can get to heaven on our own. We deny that we are a sinner that is unworthy to live in the presence of holy God. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to bring not only physical death, but spiritual death. God doesn't want that. And so God has provided a way that we can enter into heaven with him through his son. Jesus died that our our sins could be washed away in his blood. And I know I'm sounding like one of them old-fashioned hayseed hick preachers talking about the blood of Jesus. But folks, that is the only way we get to heaven is through the cross. There's no other way. And these folks that have gone through the tribulation, that have now gathered to make war against God, are worshiping Satan, they received his mark, and Jesus is coming back to judge in righteousness. Folks, listen again to the words of Jesus during his ministry. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. These are words that come out of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads where? To destruction. Those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to what? To life. And those who find it are few. Make no doubt about it. Satan offers an alternate plan that many are following even during the tribulation period. But it leads to destruction. And again, the end result not of sin, not covered in the blood of Jesus, is spiritual death. Is Jesus, is God, a God of war? Let me, let me go through these verses, and I'll close this morning, okay? I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. Make a note of this, and I, I want to ask you to read these yourself. Let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 14 with verse 30. Let me just quickly give you the background. God called Moses to lead the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. God sent Moses to the Pharaoh. And you remember the Pharaoh kept promising, I'll let your people, I'll let God's people go. But he kept changing his mind. He kept hardening his heart, which means he kept rejecting the God of Israel, who is the one and true God. And so... and. Instead of listening to Moses, who was the spokesman of God, Pharaoh put more and more work on the Hebrew slaves, made their lives more miserable. You remember finally, the night of the Passover, and again, this is so much history, but you remember as as judgment upon Pharaoh and upon his household and upon the land of Egypt, God sent the death angel, and the firstborn of every house was slain except for the Jewish people who sacrificed the lamb and took the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. Well, Pharaoh finally said, you can go. Get everybody together and get out of here. But Pharaoh 
as the people of Israel left, Pharaoh changed his mind. Pharaoh had the greatest army on the planet at that time. And he sends his army out to annihilate God's children. They came to the Red Sea. You remember the story? How are we going to get across the Red Sea? You remember God used Moses to part the sea? A lot of people don't believe it. I don't have any trouble believing it. You know, if he created this planet in the Red Sea, he doesn't have any trouble causing the wind to push the waves back. And the Hebrew people walked across on dry land. And and Pharaoh's army followed. Do you remember what happened? Now, wait and think just a second. If there's somebody trying to kill us, wouldn't it be right for them to be judged by God to protect us and save us, correct? Listen, Satan in Revelations 19 is trying to take over the earth and trying to pull everybody he can into hell where he's eventually going. Is it not right for the judgment of God to fall upon him and to fall upon all that follow him? I'm just trying to get you to reason this thing out. But let's go back to Exodus. Let me read these verses to you, and I promise you I'm going to close, okay? Exodus 14, beginning with verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Remember again, they didn't lift a hand. God took care of the evil army and the evil forces. And Israel, look at verse 31, Israel saw the great work which the Lord did against the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now here's what I wanted to get to. The first three verses in chapter 15 of of Exodus. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now let me ask you something. If you and I had been there And God had just destroyed our enemies. Wouldn't we break loose and start singing too? Now just just think about that. And listen to what they sing. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And look at what... They sang next. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Folks, let me tell you something. This same God of the Old Testament, whom the people knew as the creator God and the God of Abraham and the ancestors, is a man of war. And he destroys the forces of evil. And when Jesus comes back to the earth, At his second coming, he is going to be a man of war to destroy all forces of evil. And again, remember, the forces of evil have gathered their army. The false prophet, the antichrist, Satan, has gathered their armies to fight against the armies of heaven. Folks, God loves us. You know... One of the things about being a preacher is you've got to tell both sides of the story. It would be so easy to stand up here and say, yeah, you know, God's going to save everybody. God loved the world. He does love the world, but it is our responsibility to respond to him. He does not force us to trust his son. That is something we must do on our own. 
And again, Jesus made it plain. There are two paths that you can take in life. One, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of people on that road, but guess where it leads? It leads to destruction. There's going to be another path. And he said there's going to be a lesser amount of people. Because you see, Satan's lies try and convince people that you don't need to trust in God. And again, I'm not trying to coerce you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. There's a side that leads to life, or a path that leads to life, and that path, you know where it's at? It's holding the hand of Jesus Christ. It's believing that he is the Son of God, that he came to this earth, and he came first to die and to shed his blood, that we should not perish but have everlasting life. But the decision is ours. And I pray that you and I have made and are making and will make the right choice to trust him. He's coming back again. Are we ready? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your precious word that gives us the full picture, that doesn't hold anything back, that points out what sin does, but points out what Jesus has and will do for us if we trust him as our personal Savior. God, I just pray that you would help us to have ears that hear and hearts that will be able to understand and minds that will receive the truth so that truly we can be born into your kingdom. And as we await the return of your son, we can have that peace and assurance that he's coming for us. God, please bless us in these moments of invitation. God, may your word bring forth fruit. May it bring forth more people who will believe in Jesus and know him as Savior and as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn this morning is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, number 413. We encourage you that as the Spirit of God leads you, that you would come, you would come to Christ. Let us stand as we sing.
Father, as we read in that bulletin this morning, it says, follow me. In the song we just sung, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Father, we thank you for Herbert and the message you brought today. Father, that we with your word. You preach from your word. Father, the message is that we Yes, Father, now, as we leave this room, Father, we will have the opportunity to participate in Sunday school, where, Father, we can study and get more depth into your word. Father, for those that need me. Father, we lift up for those that are not here today. Father, we have a special prayer of concern today for those that are in Texas and in, in the path of the hurricane. Father, we lift them up to you. And Father, they feel your presence. Father, again, as we now prepare to leave, we just ask the Lord that we would take you within our heart and somewhere throughout the week we will share your grace with someone else. We ask all this in the Lord's name we pray. Amen. Amen.